This is Talking Devils, your favourite Manchester United podcast. I'm your host, Wayne Barton, joined by the legendary former Manchester United defender, Paul Parker. How are you doing, Paul? I'm fine, thank you very much, Wayne. Looking for a bit of excitement after the weekend. Uh, <laughs> you'll certainly get some animation in this podcast, that's for sure. Um, because people will be expecting me to go over the, the Leeds game straight away, but I, I've got a little surprise for everyone, a little rant to start off with. Uh, before we get to that, um, Talking Devils brought to you in association with Classic Football Shirts. They've got classic um, shirts and sportswear online in physical stores as well. Listeners to this podcast can get a 10% discount using TOTD10. I also want to do um, the regular shout-out that we now do to Duncan Edwards Foundation and Museum in Dudley, run by Rose Cook Monk. Just Google Duncan Edwards Foundation and, and do what you can to support them and arrange to go down and see. It's really great stuff that um, she does down there, not just for Duncan, but a tribute to the... Um, to Manchester United of that era as well not just a Munich disaster right so Paul not happy this morning because the Premier League announced their Hall of Fame last year and today they revealed the first two inductees um, Gary Neville once said that Manchester United team that he played in would only be appreciated once he and his teammates retired I looked forward to that day because I lived through that era of um, one of the most successful teams of all time Ferguson did that maybe three times like possibly you could argue that three times he created the best team, you know, the best three Premier League teams in, in history really and um, you know, I, I lived through a period where people talked about that, the mid 90s and they, they, now they talk about Newcastle's team that didn't win the league almost more than well probably they do talk more than they do about the team that actually won it Um even the mentions of the treble you've seen how easily that gets forgotten because they talk more in the recent years about teams being better than that treble team and um, sometimes even with the treble team they talk about the low point total they start saying oh they were lucky <laughs> you know um, it's amazing amazing that is how people keep bringing up the number of points you get when in theory the point in theory, the points total tells you about how competitive the league was. Exactly. And there were some great teams as well. It was one of the best Arsenal teams ever. Uh, at that time, one of the best mm. Chelsea teams ever. Uh, um, a resurgent Liverpool team, one of the best Leeds side ever. Um, I, and I always think, well, if you think that wasn't a good achievement, then look at United, what they did the next season, if you want to look at big points totals. And they absolutely obliterated everyone that season. Um, and in that season, 99-2000, you had... Um, the two Nevilles Beckham, Butts, Scholes and Giggs six players developed by the club played more than 20 times in the league seven more youngsters developed by the club were given games in the league then you've got the United team of 2006 to 2011 with uh, Rooney and Ronaldo um, should say neither of them are eligible for this award because you have to have been retired of last summer now I can understand why one player in particular isn't involved in it we don't have to talk about that we know what's happened in the last week with that particular player so we know why he's not being mentioned for this award even if he was um, scheduled for it and I don't think he was I think the, the two that have been named Thierry Henry and Alan Shearer are always the two that the Premier League are going to go with I can even understand why you wouldn't have Cantona as one of your first two because it was in the first five years and people don't have memories that long what I will say is if the last five <laughs> years if in the last five years Salah had inspired Liverpool to four out of five league titles he'd be getting mentioned with the two that they picked um, and if you t turn it around 
absolutely you'd be talking about Cantona. I think you would, um, but people don't for some reason. Um, like I said, this podcast is probably going to be a little bit shorter than usual because of how boring yesterday's game was, but um, believe me, it still might take twice as long as our usual podcast to take to talk about all the players who, who won more or as many medals as those two players, Shearer and Henri, combined. Now, in all seriousness, you know, I, I get why they've picked those two. It's almost like a diplomatic thing, but if you're not having one player... Just one player from the most successful team in any of the eras in which the the Premier League's been played. It's just not a Hall of Fame that can be taken seriously on achievement. Um, so, Paul, I've decided I'm going to start my own Premier League Hall of Fame, and it's going to start with two inductees. Um, the first, Eric Cantona, because my favourite player, and he, I, I've always talked about him as the most important man in Premier League history. Um, and the second, because obviously I'm joined by yourself, you played in three title winning seasons, as many as he, Henri and Shearer combined. Mr. Paul Parker, um, please accept your invitation to Wayne Barton's Premier League Hall of Fame. Um, did you prepare a speech for this momentous occasion? Not at all, Wayne, because you didn't really actually give me any clue about this. I will say, I've, you know, I feel proud and honoured to be in, to be in it. I'm I'm shocked, to be honest, really, because I'd I'd actually put other people well before me. But I'll take it that I'm actually kind of working with you, so you must feel you feel obliged to actually have me involved. So just leave it there. Be, just leave it there before I start getting more and more angry about it. No, but in all seriousness, I did, I did want to bring this up because, um, um, first of all, I don't. Did you win three medals? Because I know that the rules used to be you had to play no, ten games. Yeah, no, I didn't because of that ruling. It's changed now. Yeah, can you um, not yeah. get a, a retro, a retrospective no. one? Do you know what? I wouldn't have any interest in that because I didn't play a lot of football with injuries in the re- and Gary and what Gary Neville done in that in that one. I wouldn't want it because I feel that if you have a medal, you as far as I'm concerned, you've got a sweat, you've got a sweated for it. Yeah. I, 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 you know, I didn't sweat for it. It still would never feel anywhere near to what the other two have. Well, I got one medal and one trophy. Which is, you know, which is a one-off one for the first Premier League, and it's never going. It would never feel as good as what those two do. To be perfectly honest, you said that you didn't sweat for for that no. last one, mm. right? Yeah, but you did because you played alongside William Prunier for, for a couple <laughs> of those games. So <laughs> I'm not having that. But you also, I mean, in those games, I mean, you, you played in the infamous um, "Can't win anything with kids" game against Villa, but also against um, Bolton in the last season, where um, that was one of the best games of football I can ever remember watching. Cantona didn't even play in that game; that was before his ban. Can you remember that game where we just Terry Cook on the wing? We were just superb yeah. in that game. Yeah, I remember Cook. He was playing in front of me, and he was a good player, Terry. A little bit frail. Mm. But he was he was mentally strong. He was a good athlete. In certain ways, I have to say, he was about the same kind of stamp as um, Daniel James. Yeah, yeah. In that sense, but he was a better player. Yeah. You know, he had yet he, he was a very he's quite an intelligent player, Terry. He was in that era of playing. You know, he played with Beckham and all them as you know Scolzi played in kind of around that time but it was quite a youngish team and it was quite an enjoyable game to play because I think the only time I ever played against Bolton prior to that game would have been from from my Fulham days yeah 
you know, because um, when they was in the, I think that was in the championship then, or the, the then second division when I played against Bolton with, with Big Sam and Peter Reid playing for, for Bolton at that time. Yeah. So, but I do remember it was a lovely sunny day as well. Yeah, it was. And I, yeah. and I remember, I can still remember Terry Cook's mum and dad, who were a love, lovely couple, they were so proud. And when you see someone, parents, you know, like that, I think everyone wishes that, you know, I was full, unfortunate, my parents obviously down south but I kind of didn't involve them in my football because what was going on at that given time and I couldn't be involved with all be around or be on the pitch with all that was going around and my parents didn't stand but Terry's mum and dad followed him everywhere and they were so proud when he played it when he played in that game because he played ever so well as well he did he, he, and I remember thinking at that time because he played on the right hand side and Beckham played in the middle they thinking obviously this is the time just after Kanchelskis was sold and you're thinking he's got a good chance actually and what's strange about that game 9 out of 11 um, were English you know only one Schmeichel was foreign because you had two Welsh lads in there Giggs and Davies came on for Cook um, and five of that front six. You could count Sharp as a fledgling because I guess when they um, when they first just before you arrived, when they described them as Fergie fledglings, Sharp was in that group even though he came from Turkey. Um, but the other five were all homegrown, you know, in the in the front line. But Beckham, Cook, scores and gigs. So um, yeah, and a couple of if you get the chance to go back and check those goals out on YouTube, I think. Um, I can't remember if it's Skulls' first or Giggs' um, goal. Just the football in that game, the, the one-touch football was incredible. And um, I, I would say, Paul, that, yeah, again, I am partly obliged and partly biased that um, you, you deserved a medal on that because the criteria is now five games, you played six um, because of the injury problems that you had. And like I said, you, you did have to play two games alongside William Prunier. So, um <laughs> that's like 10 games isn't it really um, I, might, I might just go I don't know I, don't, I wouldn't know where to start to go and do something like that to be perfectly honest yeah. see, if, see if I warranted one well to be perfectly honest the boss if I remember rightly the boss worked really hard to make sure Michael Owen got enough games in to get his one yeah well that's the thing in the later years I think they had the um, I don't know what they they call them it was like a special award wasn't it that they uh, they could nominate one or two players to get an award if they didn't get there which um, I'm sure if those kind of things like you said I know that you probably would have been too proud to accept that but um, interesting nonetheless and I you know I, I thought it was interesting to bring up because I, and when I was doing the notes for it I'm like well you played in three Premier League winning seasons but I was sure that that third medal um, you never got because of that rule, and you mm. know I, I just think if you played if you played more than five games, then um, especially with the modern rules, they should they should go back and be retrospective with it because you've seen a lot of teams these days. That City and Liverpool definitely have done it over the last couple of seasons where they tried to squeeze players up to get five appearances, and yeah. um, th- those are token appearances. You weren't playing as a token appearance; it was just that Neville. You had your injury problems and Neville had sort of burst onto that side. Although we should say at the same time, as much as Terry Cook established himself on that right hand side for a couple of games, it took Neville a few more games to convince that he was the right hand side and defence. In fact, I'm pretty sure that it would have been the next season after that because Roy Keane played a few games at right back. And he did, and, and David May. And David May. And also, um, Phil Neville at the end of that season played at right back. 
he yeah. took he took Gary out with a team. I remember that quite well. And um, it wasn't yeah. until the following season where, really, I think what changed it was Euro '96 because Gary got picked and Phil didn't get picked, and then Gary's momentum just carried on after that. Um, so yeah, interesting, interesting times. Um, but yeah, if, if anyone listening to this is from the Premier League. I demand that you give Paul a medal and so he doesn't have to do it himself but um, if anyone knows how to do it let's start the campaign I actually joked about on, on Twitter saying you know Anderson got four medals so justice for Anderson if, if Shearer and Omri can get in there all, all jokes aside I still can't believe that they can start a Hall of Fame and not include a Manchester United player. If it, no. make it th- three players that you're announcing and put like Skulls or Neville or or Keane as the other player. Do you know? Or Ronaldo, not Ronaldo because he, he wouldn't be eligible. But you've got to have a United player in in the first Hall of Fame that you announce, haven't you? It's just ridiculous. It is ridiculous, and we all know how it, how it works. It's it, I don't, well, it, well, it's we all got our opinions, but. It, it, it just doesn't. It doesn't make any sense to be perfect. Yes, Alan Shearer scored a load of goals, and everyone talks about Thierry Henry. But sometimes we have to maybe not worry about what other people think, but actually put someone who's actually British English in the forefront, who's actually achieved a hell of a lot. And Paul Scholes comes to mind. Yeah. The amount of games, the games he played, the, the things he, and more importantly, what he won, what he achieved as a player. And yet they, and Alan Shearer scored goals, but. What did he win? Yeah, one. I, I really, I'm, I'm, I'm shocked by it. But it's all about, it's all about friends. To be perfectly honest, nepotism is very, very powerful in the game of football. Yeah, it, it does surprise me that Aubrey got selected because I know he was a great player. Don't get me wrong, but I feel like it's the Premier League telling us that that's their opinion of who the best ever player was. And like that's mm. very dangerous territory to go down for a subjective kind of thing like that. Because um, he only won, did he win two? He won two in 2002 and 2004. Um, and, you know, never won the Ballon d'Or. So he was mm. never the best player in the world, even though they like to sort of hold him up as the Premier League. And United were so good in that time. I don't know. It just, um, and they were so much better as well in times, you know, that sort of late 90s side. Even the team that you played in, Cantona. How does Cantona not get a mention? But I don't know. He's number one in my Hall of Fame, and you're number two, uh, which is fitting because you know you were number two. So um, yeah. Anyway, we we managed to get this far without talking about yesterday's game. We're gonna have to do it. Um, United's trip to Ellen Road must have broken some kind of record for lowest number of completed passes in a game. Oh my god, that was bad. Um, I don't know, Paul, where do you begin with that? I mean, I did the two things that I wanted to mention, the two notes I got down is Lindelof and Maguire. Not defensively, I thought they were all right. But, you know, you're relying on them to bring the play up a little bit or to do something. And, and Maguire did all right in that. You know, he, he, um, I thought Maguire's passing was quite good. But Lindelof tries that pass every time. He, he did work once, the first, uh, worked a few games ago against Granada. And then the earlier time he did it in the game, he got Rashford through. But then he's trying it every time you get the ball. And then Maguire played well in defence. But I've never known a player to be in the box and be surprised when the ball comes to him every single time. He's like, he's like oh my God, I wasn't expecting that. Do you know what I mean? It's like Jack in the box. <laughs> yeah, I was, I, was, I was doing the radio for the game. And, and to be perfectly honest, 
he's all, he's very you know good in the defensive box. And I said on the radio, he should be by the size of everything. He should be good in he should be good in the box. But in the attacking box, he's very very poor. Yeah. Very, very poor. The one that hits his knee, I just cannot believe what he was thinking. How, do, how does the ball end up coming off his right knee and going wide and high? You think to yourself, how is that? How, how comes you couldn't adjust your body? You were, you was there facing it. Yeah. Couldn't move his feet quick enough. And you look with the header and you think to yourself, at the worst, you head it straight at the goalkeeper. And then you think, oh, direction was poor. But it was just amazing how much time he had. He had... And he headers it so wide because there is a big surface for that ball to hit. By the way, so he it wasn't a case of he didn't. There wasn't a lot to you know to go with. He's got a lot there to go with, and to miss by that far, and, and it's not only just in that game. It is in so many games where he misses with his head. Yeah. It's absolute, absolute incredible. Let's put it this way: he's cost a lot of money, a lot of money, which I'm still kind of thinking myself. I don't think he was worth it, but I'll tell you what, in the opponent's box, he's no Steve Bruce. No, he's not. And it's funny, isn't it? Because we talked about that um, at some point last season, people were saying, oh, he's more like Bruce than Stamp. And, he, and he, yeah, he, this is talking about the memory kind of thing. No, you have to go back and watch Steve Bruce to know yeah. what an aggressive kind of centre off he was. Um, he, what he does remind me of, and again, we're exercising the memory banks, but if people have watched footage of this, it reminds me a little bit of Bill Folks, you know, a, a, a bit of a wardrobe of a defender that you don't think has got that much mobility. I mean, he's very good at what he does in defence, but I mean, Folks has only scored a handful of goals for United. I think he went over 300 games between goals at one point and you get the feeling that's kind of Maguire he gets in the area do you know what I mean he's in the area to score goals but it just doesn't have the sort of goal scoring now which is strange because he sort of scored a few for Leicester didn't he but he did yeah I, I always turn around and say and maybe I can say this is that you look at the people you don't have to be six foot five and Fifteen stone to go and win balls in the box. You have to be somebody who has got a desire to want to win the ball, to score goals, or even to defend. And it's about being on your toes and it's being on the move. Because if I'm, if I'm, if someone's on, you think about Brucey. Brucey's just about touching six foot. Yeah. And you think how many headers he won compared to how many headers Gary Pallister won. Yeah. And you see it's about wanting to get there and it's about being on the move. The two goals against Sheffield Wednesday was on the move, wanting to attack it and willing to, to maybe get his nose bashed up again to go and do it. You know, and if you're on the move, if someone's on the move and they're running and attacking the ball, and doesn't matter how much taller that other person is, he's not, it's very unlikely he's going to win that ball in the air because he's not on the move, he's flat footed. Harry Maguire jumps off. He's off the spot. He's never on the move. Yeah. He doesn't move around. He stand. He just stands there and he waits. And you, you're not. And if you are going to win it, you're going to be very lucky if you're going to get a good head away. And and that's what he's like. He's not agile. He's got his agility is quite poor as well. There's a lot. He's still got a lot to do and a lot of move with his feet. Even now, it's still time for him to maybe get the big elastic band around his feet and start working on blemish, on shortening his stride and checking left to right and move people about. Yeah, maybe that's something that he could work on over the summer because I think you're right. I don't see that much difference in terms of mobility. I don't think Bruce was the most mobile, but it's the way that he was aware of his own frame. Like when you watch. I know these are bad analogies having I mean, just described McGuire as a, a wardrobe but Bruce was like a rhino wasn't he in the box you know like um, that's how he, that's how I saw him and I just think that if McGuire could do that 
but he'd have to get the he'd have to change the entire sort of complexion of his um, the timing of his runs. Maybe he <laughs> wouldn't be bad at well, Bruce is managing Newcastle, but if he if he gets sights, bring him down and give him some coaching or something. Yeah. Yeah. I just I just think he get he's more concerned about people pulling at him and trying to touch him. And I think once you get inv- engaged in that, you're going to lose it. And I always say is that I look at me and how how I was and I played, and I always say. One of, you know, one of the things that helped me during my time was I went up, up you know, I had a stage where I was doing a lot of man-to-man stuff, so I'd go up against some of the best strikers in the first division at that given time. All the, you talk about all the better ones there, you know, the Ian Rushes, Sparky, to name but two. There was the Paul Walshes, there was the, Gra- there was the Graham Sharps. There, I was up against all of them. Who else? Um, I was up against Teddy, um... Um, there was so many Gary Lineker when he was at Tottenham but the one thing that I, ne- I never got engaged in always touching them when a boxer or anything I think because I, I know one or two things would happen certain players if I kept pulling at them in the box they'll elbow me straight in the face I'd go ref the ref would go you deserve it Paul because you're pulling on him Yeah. so I never used to let them touch me or I wouldn't touch them because then they'd be worried where I was and Sparky is the one I always talk about. Big Alan McDonald loved the fight with Mark Hughes. Those two used to kick two bells out of each other for every game. At one time, Sparky's come, Sparky had a, a big cut down the back of his calf. And not when I was playing at Rangers, a big cut. And he was like, he needed stitches. He had stitches at half time in one of the games. Big Alan McDonald had something identical. Neither of those two moaned to the referee. And next, and when, and then we went out second half, and um, I think the manager was Don Howe. And he turned around and said to me, "You pick up Mark Hughes now because of Macca, I'm worried about him because he, he needs just to be there, just to be attacking the ball rather than trying to get get near um, Sparky." So what I'd done with Sparky, I stood away from him, and Sparky loves a challenge. He wanted, he wanted, he wanted a physical battle. Yeah. But he hated me because I wouldn't give him a physical battle <laughs> because there was, there was something that, there's something that, that would have materialised, materialised out of it if it was a physical battle. And what would have materialised would have been Sparky winning it. Because I couldn't, I couldn't do, deal with him physically. So I just, I just stayed away from him. I nipped in front of him. I was on the side of him. It was incredible. I mean, and Sparky was a hell of a player. And it come about... Oh, it must have been a few months later, or maybe even the following season, and we was playing United in an evening game. It might have been the, it might have been the cup game or something. When we um, or I think we won three two at home. One, I think Andy Gray scored two goals. Mm. One was a free kick he blasted through the wall. But we stayed in the same. Ho- we always stayed in the hotel, the Royal Lancaster Hyde Park. And United were standing there, and all of a sudden, we was all going up to the bedrooms after having lunch. And we jumped to the lift, and Sparky was in there with his shadow, Clayton. <laughs> and all of a sudden, Sparky's just turned around and just looked at me. He's gone. He goes, "Effing now." He goes, "Your man Mark him in a lift as well." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, it, and, it, and that's typical Sparky way of saying things, which is kind of like he said it, but you know, he, he, he didn't know me. And if Sparky doesn't know people, he's quite coy. Yeah. With things, but he said it. And he, he said it, and his eyes went as well. It was just one of those moments. 
Talking about um, shadowing, though, that's what yesterday's game was, wasn't it? Really, it was like mad marking for ninety minutes. It was a slow dance. <laughs> they were doing the waltz. You could have put um, some like come dancing music over it or something like that. It's absolutely. I, I don't know. What, what do you? I mean, Leeds obviously set up to play like that and frustrate, which is weird considering the way that Leeds have played so expansive and free all season. But um, their objective was to get a point and. United, Solskjaer a little bit too reactive, perhaps thinking too much about. I said too much about Thursday, but maybe sensibly about Thursday. I don't know where do, where do you stand on that because he's being criticised for it, and I can sort of see the criticism, but also at the same time, you can see why he sort of did what he did. Yeah, I, I suppose so. I see what. I, I still look at the game, and it and it, it wasn't a good game, and it was about the game was about Leeds. Because at the end of the day, Leeds had been beaten 6-2. Even though I think the scoreline flattered United. The early goals killed Leeds a bit, but 6-2 doesn't really tell you a lot about the game because it was 6-2 and it could have been, it could have been, say, I'll give it 7-4. Yeah. Give the way that was. But Leeds didn't want, saw that game and I think really it had been drummed into and a lot of those players how big that game was. They knew they didn't want to lose it for their fans and for the way their season was. They wanted to get something from Manchester United. And for Leeds, after all season, as you use that word, expansive, that's what Leeds do. Leeds play, play from the back. They clear almost half a pitch. So they virtually go four against four to play from the back. They never done that. There was, there was goal kicks coming from... There was just about getting close. And even um, Calvin Phillips admitted his job was to stop Fernandes playing. Those two had a conversation in the first half. I don't know if you see when the camera panned in, is that they was having a conversation. I think that was Calvin Phillips saying to... Look, if, you've got, if you've got any pockets, I'm just going to jump in one. Because he just... Because to be honest, and Calvin Phillips done, done a good job. He's a decent player who's, who's set in one way and he, and he plays it very, very well in the role he plays. Fernandes was very, very quiet, as he has been for the last few games, to be honest. Quite a number of games. He's been only seen flashes. Hasn't been anywhere near it. But, but I look at that and you think to yourself, have we got to put that down to the fact he's the respect he's got from other teams? Uh, their, their first thought is to stop him playing. Yeah. His, next, his next test is to get himself playing, because Eric had situations like that, and Eric dealt with that. But then the team helped that because it helped other players come out, come out a little bit when Eric was being so closely marked. Now it might just need need other players to show their edge now, which we know we haven't really got in the sense of creativity. So Ollie's going to have to look at that situation now. He's going to deal with that. But in certain ways, it's quite fortunate, really, that Leeds haven't really got a goal for it, really. As much as Bamford huffs and puffs and whatever, he does okay. Honesty, his, his honesty and his work off the ball is incredible, but he just couldn't get on the ball. Leeds haven't got anyone else who you believe is a threat in scoring goals. I think the closest one to Bamford, I think, is seven goals, and I think that was Jack Harrison. Yeah. But other than that, they are, they are struggling for someone else to score. But if you look at Leeds and even everyone, has, you have to say, as they've had a, a very a decent first season back in the Premier League. In the way it's gone from, and they've you know they've made it easy for them to stay in it by what they've gone and done. Yeah, and yesterday was all about a point, and that's what they got. Um, yeah. Just to finish on that, um, Solskjaer with the subs. What, what, where did you come from on that one? Do you think he, or, or even the selection itself? Obviously, Pogba and Cavani on the bench. You brought them on too late to really affect the game. Um, you would have thought they'd be safe for the Europa, but um, 
maybe saw, saw how the game was going and thinking, you know, it doesn't really matter what I do, they're still going to follow us around. I, I, I was just shocked by the timing of the substitutions and yeah. I still look at it again as, you know, find a way. If you're not going to play Pogba, then play, start with Van der Beek. Don't start with um, Daniel James. It yeah. must be a way that Van der Beek can go into that team and not have Daniel James playing, because it because it was a waste it was a waste of time to be perfectly honest. There wasn't anything coming from there with or without the ball. And, and it, Van der Beek comes on and I've, you know I, every time I look at him, it's a bit like at the stage I was going through with Fred when Mourinho was there. I'm starting to feel sorry for him. I shouldn't. Why am I feeling sorry for a professional footballer who's earning a load of money? <laughs> But, you know, if we look at it that way, as maybe most fans would mostly come out and say, but at the end of the day, yes, he does, and that, you can't put that on him, but you, you just, you do, all you want is a little bit of kind of respect for him, really, and give him a run. He's having to sit there, he's away from home, it's been difficult, he knows that he's, his old team are 12 points clear in winning their league, Ajax, and that's going on. They all, you know, can imagine he's communicating there and he's saying what's going on here, and he's mostly saying things that maybe not too too good about maybe Ollie at this moment in time his teammates ex-teammates will agree with him because they know how good a player is Ollie hasn't worked hard enough to, um, to induct him into the, into that team he hasn't given anyone a, an, an opportunity to say he ain't going to work because he can't do this he hasn't done this at the moment everyone's saying it ain't going to work but and you ask him why it isn't well he's not getting picked yeah tell me something positive something that I can work off and bounce off. And that's the only thing you can say. It doesn't make any sense. Why is he why did he play Daniel James? Well, he knew what he was gonna get. He's gonna get someone who's gonna run around. And that's all he's got. And to be honest, he could play the lot is it the the I don't know. What's his name, the young boy? The certain um the Dilalo? Diallo, yeah. Diallo. He could have played him. Yeah. Give give him a run. And then see, you, and then you bring him through, and you'll and you'll get a bit of kudos for doing something like that. But you can't keep playing Daniel James just to, just because he runs around. You know, the lad needs a little bit more respect than that. You know, because <laughs> he needs games. And if he, what he's, you know, the way it's gone with him, the, he should have gone out and loan. Yeah, it's as, as simple as that. It's every time when that team was picked, and I looked at that and I went, "No, it doesn't make sense." And then when you bring on Pogba, when you did as well, I think, why why was that for? If you if you really wanted to win the game, you should have done it earlier to change the game. Give giving yourself an opportunity to change the game with Pogba coming on. Yeah, yeah. Nil nil. United a little bit closer to consolidating their place in the top four and, and second place in the league. Um, the Champions League qualification isn't really the objective of the Europa League anymore, but um, a trophy certainly is. That's going to be Roma at home in the first leg in the semi-final this this Sunday, uh, Thursday. Sorry, you know I think I'd prefer in a way like first of all, um, but you never know. It didn't hurt us against Milan. And it's a tough one to call, Paul, because you say going over there without conceding or even going over there with a 1-1 um, isn't going to be that much of a disaster for United, is it? I mean, they've got a, f- a few familiar names in the side. Mkhitaryan, obviously, we know. Dzeko, um, who can definitely be a handful for our defence. But um, what I'm saying is we don't have to necessarily win 2 or 3 nil to think uh, we, we can feel positive going into the next, league, uh, the next week's game. But... Um, it's still a, a tricky one to call, isn't it? 
Oh, of course it is. I mean, the main thing about it, it's a semi-final, so everyone raises, you know, raises their expectations and, and what goes with it. And I really don't know which way to go in it because you look at Italian football and that's up on its head at its moment in time because Juve have had a poor, poor season. Inter have come through strong, which I think everyone would have expected with the jack-in-the-box Conte being there. AC Milan have had a, a resurgence, really. They've been they've had a little bit of, you know, bit of a threat at one time to win their first La Liga in La Liga. Sorry, um, win their first Italian league in a long, long time. So it's been a, it's been a difficult one over there. I, I really don't know how to call this because. I haven't taken a great deal of interest in the leagues overseas because of what's happened here. Yeah. To be perfectly honest, I've kind of lost lost that little bit of interest in it because it's bad enough trying to keep me interest here, let alone start <laughs> looking what's going on in the foreign league. To be honest, yeah. Ask me, ask me about the championship, and I mostly got could tell you a lot about the championship. So I've got more interest in that, to be honest, in the Premier League. That's got a little bit more commitment in it. Yeah. Um... But we'll find out a lot on Thursday, that's for sure. Um, next week yeah. is going to be uh, Liverpool at home. Um, Liverpool struggling again, um, just picking up draws wherever they go. It's kind of like they just want the season to end. Um, I want to say that we're a million miles away from that, really. It sometimes feels like we're kind of seeing out the season now. We're sort of plodding in this position where probably going to get second. He says, knowing there's still at a risk, but... Um, I don't know, but the, the Liverpool game is a funny one depending on what happens against Roma because I don't think it's one that we can afford to take lightly to rest players. And I, f- I feel like if we win against Liverpool, we'll, we'll sort of secure second place. Would you say that that is going to be... What do you reckon is going to be balancing for um, taking the balance in Oli's mind? Will it be the fact that it's Liverpool or will it be the fact that we've got the semi-final either side of it? I would turn around and say that the three games are all just as important as each other, to be perfectly honest, because as yeah. poor as Liverpool have been this season, and you can look at it, you say to yourself, it doesn't matter what happens in Europe, you're still going to want to beat Liverpool to take something. You want to beat Liverpool, you, you want a good performance against Liverpool to take in your next game in Europe. And the one thing you know, that you put more pressure on Liverpool if you beat Liverpool in, than them not making a top four. And... Um, wouldn't Oli wouldn't enjoy that? Wouldn't Manchester United fans enjoy the fact of Liverpool not qualifying for the Champions League after after just winning it? Yeah. You know, surely that's 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 got to be something. You can't just suddenly forget about your domestic because you're worried about Europe and what's going on there. You got you as the saying goes, and the old cliche is you take one game at a time. And you don't worry about resting players now. There's only what, eight, nine games maximum they've got now. So, so what? So you just flog them now, don't you? They they must want to be flogged. They're willing to move heaven and earth just to to get through the season and maybe cheat. So. Yeah, um, it's a it's a tough one to call, Paul. To be honest, I, I look at it and I see the way that I, maybe it goes the other way around as well. That you know that um, Liverpool will be giving themselves up for this game because it's going to be the biggest game left of the season and a big chance for them to get into the Champions League as well. Um, I don't know, but yeah, you've got to treat them all as big games. That's got yeah. to be um, not just for these three games. That's got to be what Ollie's 
um, objective is for next season every single game has got to be as big as these next three games that's how you've got to treat it and that's how it's going to have to be if we want to win the league it has to be like that yeah it literally has to be yeah, definitely without a doubt on that one. And I think if we look into next season, we know the next season is going to be a completely different season. Not just by the, the numbers of people who are going to be at games. We don't know the numbers yet, but they're going to be more than what they were this season. So the whole mental side of it's going to completely change with players individually and collectively. So next season is going to be more competitive. People will look at it and maybe get more into it on the people watching it are going to maybe looking for more and so it's going to be an interesting season this season as much as we know City are going to win it I don't know if it's going to be taken as a, a serious Premier League league title I still think that people will look at it and think okay yeah you won that one but the one the, the main one is, is next season we'll see different teams will Manchester United to go this long what they've done um, unbeaten away from home doesn't happen next season yeah. Doesn't doesn't happen because teams are going to be that little bit more committed and that side of it. You know, so many teams with good away form but poor home form. I think there's I think there's a little bit of proof there in the cooking and what's going on at this moment in time. So that isn't going to happen happen again for a little while when we, when you see what some of the things that have happened this season and especially more than anything, Burnley going away from home and scoring four goals and Chris, Chris Wood scoring a hat-trick. That's absolutely incredible. Fair play to him, by the way, because he played really well against United, Chris Woods. Yeah. He, you know, he, he, he ran them ragged. I don't think he's done that to many teams, Chris Wood, but, you know, for someone, I think there's a lot of people who feel pleased for him that he's gone and done that, but... That tells you something for Burnley to score four goals away from home at a ground where they haven't won since 1973. <laughs> yeah, there's a few records like that. And, um, yeah. Hopefully United's home record will improve as a, a consequence of getting fans in. I mean, just, I didn't watch all of the cup final yesterday, but just to hear fans in the ground again. Um, magic really was and um, hope that that's going to be something that we can experience I say hope because I'm still slightly pessimistic you never know something that uh, United can experience next season um, yeah. there's nothing wrong with that Wayne I think everyone's down that line you just don't trust what's been what's been written on a can do you at this moment in time you, you'd rather actually see what's in the can yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, well, this podcast is in the can for this episode. Um, we'll be back next week to talk about those the first two of that three like important game um, run that United have. Um, I will sound hopefully less nutty than what I am this week. Um, remember, TOTD ten for a ten percent discount with classic football shirts. Please leave us a nice review or rating on Apple Podcast if you enjoyed the show. We'll be back next week. I'm off to lobby the Premier League and, and complain to them. Stay safe, stay well, and thanks for listening. <laughs>